This is the Women Talking About Learning podcast. My name is Andrew Jacobs. Welcome. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode, the misogyny one of the Women Talking About Learning podcast. The definition of misogyny is to dislike, have contempt for, or ingrained prejudice against women. And I knew this episode was going to happen at some point, but I didn't expect that it was going to come along so quickly. Uh, And I was actually asked to record it. Dr. Hannah Gore has spent the last 20 years in various sectors in learning and development, from developing content to circa 10 million learners worldwide, to leading a corporate business school in 93 countries. In 2020, she launched the Canterbury Consultancy Group to aid organisations in the rapid development of their L&D provision as a result of COVID-19. She's smart, cool, a great person to speak with, and someone who I consider to be a friend. Our second guest today is Laurie Niles Hoffman. She's the co-founder of Niles Nolan and is an edtech learning strategist and advises companies on large-scale learning transformations. She's influential and is a voice to be listened to on topics that range from data analysis to target operating models, L&D functions and skills analyses. This episode was recorded at the end of October 2020 via Zoom and before we locked down for the second time in the UK. This is Women Talking About Learning. This is Hannah and Laurie talking about misogyny. Hello, Hannah. Hi, Laurie. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How's your day going across the pond? Yeah, it's going pretty well. I can't complain. It's not too bad. But uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you today. And and it's probably actually our first time that we've actually sat down and had a good chat. So this should be quite a good episode, I think. I would agree. I mean, we, we, we've done uh, presenting together, but it's always yeah. been sort of on stage, microphone off and, you know, running off someplace else. So yeah, I'm really sits in the night. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So where where to begin? This, I think that's the burning question, really. Um, so today we're talking about misogyny and L&D, which is a tough subject, I think. And mm-hmm. And I think one that is multifaceted and has so many layers to it, because for me, there's obvious misogyny and you and I have both experienced that in our lives. But I also think there's what I call passive misogyny, Mm -hmm. where things happen and um, certain genders are favored more than others. Mm -hmm. And, And it's done in such a way that it's it doesn't feel like a direct hit to you. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it is. So I think there's so many different layers to this that it will be quite a conversation. You know what? Though, let Let's start with the passive because I think it's very mm. easy to call out the blatant, and you know, you see it, and it's and it's there, and it's so obvious. Um, but I think the passive is does is really what does the most damage. Um, so I'd, I'd love I'd love to you know hear hear some of your your experiences with that. Yeah, well, I've been in L&D 20 years, so quite some time. And and during that time, I've been public and private sector. Mm -hmm. And I have been in the corporate world for quite a few years. But 
For me, passive misogyny came in a number of different ways in, well, the, the most obvious for me, and has happened several times, is when I've gone for a promotion mm -hmm. and, and I've got my year's experience behind me. I'm quite well qualified. I'm up to doctorate level in what I do. And I've been passed over for somebody who's less qualified with less years experience that happens to be mm -hmm. a man. Mm -hmm. And then I think, OK, he must have brought something to the interview that I didn't, you know, because you can't see each other's interview to what it is that they've talked about. Maybe he just did a fantastic job and I screwed it up. Right. But it's when your boss comes to you and says he's starting on Monday, you need to train him. Mm. where I have the problem and I think that that is a passive form of misogyny because mm. having to train somebody who's less experienced and less qualified than you and is a man is really hard mm -hmm. and and you think yes I've got to do a good job of this and my boss can see how good I am and how you know I'm still a good team player and and you're there bringing this person up to speed in doing all the things that you would have done if you had got the role and you're and you're trying to give them little pointers and saying if it was me I'd do this and oh you need to talk to this person in this way they're this kind of stakeholder and you end up hand-holding them for a good six months or so and then mm. they get the praise for it and you think why am I here you know and mm. and that's happened to me a few times now or I found out that somebody who's been in a role an identical role to me for a less number of years and is less experienced and less qualified is paid more than me Mm -hmm. And I found that out on a couple of occasions because I think we're told or we're kind of not told. It's like a secret. We don't talk about our salary. We never talk about our salary. And and the reason why is because they don't want us all to know what it is that we're all learning, because, you know, there are gaps. And I've worked for companies where there are pay spines and you assume that, that you're all being treated in the same way where the reality is that again, somebody is getting paid more than you and you're sitting there going, hold on, I'm, I'm doing a great job. You know, if I'm not getting paid the same, how is that? I'm doing really well on my appraisals. I'm hitting all my targets. I'm bringing more revenue. And yet I'm still not being paid the same as somebody who is not doing all these things. And then that becomes a very difficult conversation. It, well, it is. And, and, and there was an interesting thing on, on, on Twitter a while ago. It wasn't our industry. It was, it was actually in the writing industry. And um, female authors and also female authors of, of, of color were um, posting what they were offered uh, for their first books. And it was staggering, the differences. Mm -hmm. And I think I think pay is, is, a, is a really... Um, interesting topic. Like you, I know that I have been paid less than, than my male mm. colleagues. And it wasn't until I went independent that I feel that I'm earning what I should have been earning in the roles that I was mm. doing, doing before, because I could set my own, um, you know, my own fees and mm. for, for my own experience. And I've never had a customer even, even bulk at, at the, at the price point. Um, so that's something that's, that's quite frustrating when I look back and mm. think, well, you know, that, that, that was inherently unfair. I, I, a question though, that I would like to ask you is, I don't know if you've also noticed um, something that I've observed in our industries. There also seems to be a split between what women are 
expected to do in learning as opposed to the men. Um, women are the instructional designers and the facilitators. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not seen as the ones who are maybe involved in the tech or the data sciences or the, the more of those types of uh, topics. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something that that I still struggle with. I still get recruiters contacting me for roles that I, I absolutely would not do not that they're bad roles but they're mm-hmm. more junior or there really is a gender bias to them that I'm supposed to be this warm and caring person who's going to facilitate a classroom on diversity and inclusion which I have no experience doing and so I'd be curious to know know your experience mm. with that yeah it's it's a very similar experience I I've recently gone out on my own uh, since COVID uh, that really shook up my situation and I created my own company and I actually had a conversation with a female colleague in my field because I was I was thinking about how to title myself mm-hmm. and and I almost felt like I was cheating the system mm-hmm. by by the way I was titling myself I didn't feel I achieved it the imposter syndrome was there yeah. and and even even then I I do I get uh, asked about very similar roles that, that you have. I'm a cradle to grave L&D person. My particular strengths, ironically, are strategy and data analysis. Mm-hmm. That's where I come into my own because uh, having been someone who has spent their whole career studying alongside, I have a really good sense about what it is to be a learner mm-hmm. because I've been there. You know, I'm trying to balance home life and work life and study life all at the same time, which means that I am constantly looking at learning going okay how would I take this bearing in mind I haven't got the time the ID the instructional designer thinks I have because Mm -hmm. I mean you can say in design that it costs and takes five hours but a learner's looking at it going well you've got three of my time Mm -hmm. and and so strategy strategy and strategic sort of thoughts is is my forte and then data analysis and looking at it and then going, okay, so how do I reapply the strategy and adjust it? And my doctorate is in large-scale data and online learning. Mm-hmm. Yet, I'm continually asked about instructional development and facilitation now more than ever, because obviously we're in this world now where we've shifted from face-to-face to online and I have spent 15 years in online. And, and then they're going, okay, so you know how to design to online. I do, but it's, it's not the only thing I do. Mm-hmm. And, and I've been in meetings and I'm sure you've been in the same. And, and you said, by the way, have you considered this? Or by the way, have you considered that very politely, you know, cause that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's just cleanly overlooked and, and you can be the most qualified person in the room. And they will hold their hands up to the fact that you are the most qualified person in the room, not only in terms of educational professional qualifications, but also in years of experience. And they would still overlook it. Mm-hmm. And, and that is hard. That is genuinely hard. Um, and they all assume that I'm an amazing face-to-face facilitator like they assume for you. And <laughs> I haven't done face-to-face facilitation for 15 years. <laughs> I can pick it back up again. What is that even anymore? (laughs) I don't even know anymore. I don't even know. Um, But I can do it doesn't mean that it's my skill set. And and I sometimes feel that managers and and people that contract us in, they see what we can do, think, oh, we've got a good one here. But they go, can you do this? And you're like, don't you want to leverage me to the best of my capability? Because if you want value for money out of me, then you should be absolutely utilizing everything inside my skill set. 
And, and first of all, uh, well, what I'd like to add on to that is, is, is congratulations on going out on your own. Um, I know what that journey is like. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'll need a few martinis. Um, yeah. But, but I, I hope you'll discover one of the things that I did, which I was constantly bumping up against a glass ceiling. And I, I was seeing it. I mean, I, I, I came from Big Four Consulting. I've been in uh, financial services, um, very male-dominated environments. Um, and it wasn't until I went independent that I, it, it basically was, I was no longer hitting myself against the glass ceiling. I was, I moved out of the house. Mm. And, and, and it's, but the thing that, that frustrates me about having to do that is I've assumed a lot of risk by doing it. Um, it's, it's, everything is on me. And I, and I know that's the same too for men who go independent. So I don't just want to put it, you know, in, in gender terms, but I was also forced uh, to, to, to do, um, to do this. And, but I've also had the rewards where, you know, people have recognized the expertise that I bring because I am being brought in specifically for for that topic. So I, I do hope the, the, the same, the same will be, will be for you. Mm. Um, I think it's, um, it, it, it's quite important. Definitely. And, and I think for me, having gone out on my own, uh, as a result of COVID, um, the hardest part has been finding women in a similar position to me, maybe a couple of years ahead of me in the game that I can talk to. You know, there are, there are plenty of women in L&D. Um, the amazing work by Kate Graham, mm -hmm. co-founder of Hashtag Women in Learning on LinkedIn. She said, you know, there are 67% of females are in support roles. So tons of them out there in support roles. But 70% of men are in senior roles. And then if you look at the women in their own in business, there's even less. So it's how, how do we become these women that can run businesses as successfully as you and, and be able to be contracted in for your role type and your skill set? And, and that's quite hard, I think, in, in starting out because the support isn't there and I'm sure that's the same in a lot of different sectors you know mm -hmm. with women in a lot of different sectors there are I'm sure if Kate did another study and found out how many women are in senior roles for owner-owned companies in L&D it's a significantly small amount mm -hmm. and so I think it, it is quite hard in that respect because I had so many questions at the start and couldn't physically talk to anyone because we're all locked inside our houses <laughs> so it was a it was an odd time to be in but I'm finding my feet and, and the imposter syndrome is long gone. Uh, thanks to people like Kate, who is like a complete rock to me. Um, so it is getting easier in that respect, but it is, I find it much more noticeable now um, in L&D. Now that I'm standing out of it and looking in, I see it much more. I look at Twitter in a different way. I am pick people's, um, tweets in a different way so uh there was a professor recently he tweeted about how he um he was invited to present at a conference and he asked who was on the panel and it was all men and he said no thank you very much i'm not going to present because there's no women on the panel mm -hmm. and everyone applauded it everyone liked it mm -hmm. and i replied and i said that's lovely but women aren't going to get into the room until you leverage yourself for a woman so whilst it's great that you say no there are no women on the panel they're going to find a guy that's going to say yes 
and still not put a woman on the panel. What you will say is, yes, but I'm going to suggest these women and I suggest that you also take a woman onto the panel. Otherwise, I will not do it and start to open up because these people don't know we exist. He didn't even reply to my tweet. And I sat there and thought, is it signaling or was it true feminism? Because if it was true feminism, he should have said, that's a very interesting viewpoint. Mm-hmm. I had not considered that. And, and that's an interesting point because this is something that I, I've been struggling with is, is you know, the, the speaker circuit and, and whatnot. Because there are times where I know I'm being invited because I'm a woman. Mm. And I know that I'm being invited because I have a social media presence. And I know that, you know, LinkedIn, you know, I can do a post on LinkedIn and it can get 40,000 views. And am I being commoditized? Um, and that's, mm. and it's sort of things that I've actually turned down, even though I would have been the woman on the panel, but because what I'm really being used for is signaling that we're a great company who embraces women. If you want to embrace mm. women, hire them. Um, don't ask them to do a webinar for free or don't ask them to do a post on your behalf that's, you know, going to signal that you're a diverse and embracing employer when you aren't. Um, And and that's something that I really, really have struggled with. And there have actually been, as I said, you know, ones that I've I've turned down or I've also turned down because I know some of the men on the panel, speaking of tweets, have said some very unsavory things about women. And I thought, why am I going to put myself in that lion's den? Um, and, and, and that's, that's a really tough one. And, and I, and I see this also too, with, you know, some companies who, you know, <laughs> International Women's Day, which is the one that, that, that kills me where all of a sudden in February, my inbox is filled and they all want me to talk about data because I represent that one woman, even though there's a lot of us like yourself, they come to me and they, you know, you know, can you do a post or can we use your image? I'm like, if you didn't talk to me the 364 other days of the year, I am not going to do this now. And, and that's and that's something that I'm finding is 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 frustrating. Um, mm. You know, and, and while we're on the topic of, t- of Twitter, should we talk about what even brought us here today? Yeah, why not? <laughs> we want to go deep. <laughs> go for it. Well, what, what brought us here uh, was a tweet that we noticed by somebody who's prominent in the industry that was, um, I would say, and I don't think it's interpreted, uh, an interpretation was, was pretty misogynistic. Mm. And, um, you know, we called it out and uh, we got blocked. It's tough uh, because you, mm. you worry, should I call these things out or do I be mm. quiet and be, be good about it and tolerant? And then I still will have access to that forum. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, I think it's exceptionally hard when so many men are at the top that you spend so much of your time being ta- full of tact and diplomacy mm-hmm. and where you see things that just just aren't right. And then, and then you do do that debate where you go, should I wade in? Especially somewhere like Twitter where it's really public. Um, or LinkedIn, and I've seen it on LinkedIn a few times, and Facebook, even Instagram, and I'm like, hold on a minute here. Sometimes it's just not considered that they haven't considered it. And again, we're back to that problem of on panels, in conferences, it's tokenism. So many Mm -hmm. women in L&D, and you can't fill half of the speaker slots with women, Mm -hmm. or we're all in plenary sessions. I don't know if you've noticed this, but 
rarely are we the keynotes, but we're always in the plenaries. And, and we, we do a nice parallel session where you have to pick between what mm-hmm. are fantastic speakers. I don't know, because we go to the same conference circuit. So yeah. you're looking at the conference guide and you're sitting there and you're going, God, I have to pick between what is fundamentally brilliant work by two different women and I have to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Well, surely that should be in a higher up slot. Well, mm-hmm. it's just that session. And, but they're filled by, by men. Um, and I've sometimes sat in sessions and I've gone, uh, what am I getting out of this? Um, is this even useful? And then I'm going through a parallel session and I'm hearing about what's happening on the other side through to Twitter. And I'm thinking, God, I wish I was in both of them. Right. And so I see it often. And it, I think we're, as an industry, falling foul of tokenism and signaling. And I think some of it is unconscious. I'm yeah. not... I'm not um, condoning it I'm just explaining it um I think some of it is unconscious but if we wade into correct we're always seen as the the angry woman you know the Hillary Clinton the not passionate but angry kind of thing um mm, mm. and I find that hard to deal with because if a man does it he's passionate and, and I've had it in so many different occasions where I've had to seriously hold my tongue because I don't want to come across as a character that I'm not. Yeah. And that's it, really hard. It is. It's a really hard thing because you, you, you want to express what you're, what you're thinking and even to raise your voice, you know, you're, it, it, the descriptions of you, you're shrill, you're harsh. Um, and it's, it's, it's very, very interesting you know what was the difference between being assertive and not being seen as 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 aggressive um one thing i have to say that i'm actually really loving about covid which i never thought i would say is um so i'm I'm short i'm I'm five foot two i i I joke on my passport that i'm five foot four but they know i'm lying um and i'm i'm small and that even in in and of itself would be if I went into a, a, a boardroom, you know, to occupy that that first seat or to where where you sit and where do you uh, how you present yourself. One of the things I'm loving about about Zoom is that I'm just an equal square on the screen, and I've actually found the dynamics are are, are different, and that it's 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 interesting um, how how that that's changed and. You know, some of the things, too, that I've discovered, um, and I actually got really, really good advice, and I've really taken this on board, which in to the difference between assertive and, and, and aggressive, um, even though I, I cringe a little that it's me changing my behavior, but I think we all need to be open to coaching, was to stop using minimizing language, mm. which is huge. And this is advice that I give to any woman. Um, if I'm going to interject, there's no sorry, or may I just, or can I, it's not being like that because that's minimizing right away and then it, it immediately diminishes anything I'm saying after that point and it makes me sound unprofessional it makes me sound uncertain it makes me sound as though I don't know what I'm talking about and that gets in, that gets internalized um, and that and once I started noticing that I was like huh yeah I've been taught to do that my entire life mm-hmm. I I don't use it very often I think largely because I've worked in such male dominated industries that I've picked up their pattern of behavior 
but it's actually worked against me sometimes because when I when I worked for a previous organization and I used to work for a, a lovely director um, he was absolutely fantastic but in my appraisal he said do you know sometimes I find you uncomfortable I was like oh god okay and he said because you always say yes to everything with such confidence and then I think can she actually do it and I said which would you prefer I do say yes I'm going to get that done for you and then work out how I'm going to do it afterwards mm-hmm. or do I go oh I don't know but I'm going to try which one gives you more confidence that I'm going to get the job done? And it was the opposite. I was using male-based language coming from a female body and he found it uncomfortable. Interesting. And, and I found that most interesting. And, and I said, have I ever slipped up? Have I ever not delivered? Have you ever, you know, thought that there's a track record for me not being able to achieve? What was it many times? Incredibly impossible stuff. The real kind of... Um, glass cliff kind of stuff where they send in a woman to mop everything up and and he said no so I said why don't you believe me then mm-hmm. and it's part of unconscious bias where he is so hardwired but and I've had this time and time again in my career and I had a conversation with somebody when I was found out that I was being made redundant due to COVID and I was applying for roles and I hadn't known this person very long and he was like I, I don't understand why you're why you're not getting these roles you know you've got an undergrad three postgrads and a doctorate so I have five university qualifications to my name I've been doing this for 20 years I've made content for 10 million people I've run a business school in 93 countries how is it you're not literally getting snapped up and I said it's quite simple really I'm a woman and he's like yeah no that's not true and I said okay there's a woman and she's got five qualifications she's been in the business 20 years and she's done all these things and there's a man and he's done exactly the same. One of them you're going to call a protégé. Mm-hmm. And it's not me. Yeah. And he was like, okay, yep, yeah, that's true. And I went, so what am I? Mm-hmm. If I am not that, because I'm 38 years old and I've been doing this for so long to the highest level I can possibly get it academically and professionally. If you got my CV without my gender on it and without my name, you would think me some kind of protégé superstar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the second you put my gender on my name, the question comes in, is she reaching? Is this all true? Surely someone else helped her. I've, I've gone for um, awards and presentations in the past. I went for an interview a few months ago that I was headhunted into doing right at the start of COVID. And I had to present to them. And I was telling about this business school that I ran in 93 countries and multiple languages and for a large holdings company and they said so who who was your team I was the team mm-hmm. yeah but who was your team I was the team like we went round it several times but there must be other people no they didn't even have a learning and development part department when I joined mm-hmm. and it's why is it unbelievable if it's coming from a female mouth so, so how do we, you know, in, 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 and I've had very very similar very similar conversations um, and how do we change it? I mean, you know, one of the things that that, that I notice is, is, is probably one of the big barriers to entry, particularly in, in ed tech, is that, you know, most of the money, the VCs and whatnot, are, are male-dominated, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's, a, there's an inherent bias there. I mean, I've sat in front of VCs multiple times, 
And, you know, it, it's, I've seen good ideas just, just totally die because they're thinking, well, that's not going to work. And meanwhile, I'm thinking, well, if you asked the women in the room who have consumed this, they would totally love it. I mean, to me, that's one of the places it needs to change where we, we need to get that, that, that shift. I'd love to see more women in VC, or I'd love to actually see more diversity in general in, mm-hmm. in because I think that's at the root of it. That's where all of our tools are coming from. That's where all of our, um, you know, ideas and thought leadership is coming from. Putting that in quotations, you can't see that in a podcast, uh, which is probably not the best way of doing that. Um, But it's, it's, that's where the money is. And that's where, that's where it sits. Mm. What are, what are other things? Like, I, I mean, I don't always want to be the one calling out misogyny because it, 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 it's, I do worry, does it hurt my brand? But sometimes I can't yeah. resist. What yeah. else do we, do we do? How do we shift the, how do we shift the conversation? I think it's back to, to finding the allies in the room. Mm-hmm. And, and there are a few of them in L&D. And I can think of a certain somebody right now um, who's been exceptionally helpful to me in all the years that I've known him. And, and we don't just share a passion for running. It's also a passion for L&D. So there are, there are allies out there. I think we need to ask them to help us. I'm not looking for a male savior. There's a massive difference, I think, between saviors and allies. I'm not looking for a male savior. I'm not asking someone to open up a door for me. What I'm asking them to do is that when I'm pushing that door, that they're beside me going, I think you should hear her. I think you should let her in to let her speak. And I think that we need to ask male allies to inspire other men to become allies. That it's not a lesser sort of position for them to be in to become an ally. It's actually a greater position because there's all these women in L&D that are being hurt. And this is a massive untapped resource mm-hmm. that that would benefit them as well, you know, that they have experiences that in L&D and how we deliver and how we develop that they haven't seen because they're not in those roles and they need us. And, And I think we need to be stronger. And I also think we need to stop using, like you said, minimizing language, just, I'm just ah, I'm just ah, I'm just ah. And and really own what it is that we do because we're damn good at what it is that we do. And when people ask me what it is I do, I say my job is to make people the best versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. That's, my, that's my kind of tagline. That's what I do. How I do it is the title is irrelevant. Right. And, and it's that's what I do. That's what I own. I don't go, I'm just this, I'm just that. Because that. I don't want to demote myself you know, mm-hmm. and and if you inspire somebody as an L&D person, a person inside a company that is never going to be given a shot at education or development and you've created something, whether that be a strategy, a data analysis plan, a piece of uh, instructional design, how you delivered it in a room, you know, if you've inspired that person to be the best version of themselves, they do not care what your job role is. They don't say the person that helped me become me was just an instructional designer exactly, exactly. so why do we do it to ourselves no exactly and I think but well I think we're, we're just it's just ingrained in us I mean we've been we've been told our, our, our whole lives to do that um but I want to circle back to the point about about allies but before we um mm. before we have to say goodbye um but you know 
it's interesting. So I, I have been a little bit more vocal and I don't know if that's just COVID and I'm just <laughs> raging against the screen in front of me. Um, but it's interesting when I will call out some things, my inbox will just go on fire with a lot mm-hmm. of people. That was great. That was great. And what I really wish is that they would have done Said it, it publicly. Yeah. Because I, 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 I'm left standing alone, right? Give, give mm-hmm. it a even just click on it, um, give it yeah. a, a bump um, to, 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 to say, because yeah. otherwise you're, you're, you're standing there by yourself. And, and don't get me wrong, I love the notes and it's great to know that there is that support. Um, but but that, that's one thing that I would, I would really, you know, wish, wish would, 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 have, would happen. I haven't got a ghost in the room. My dog's just pushed his way <laughs> through the door. Um, Right yeah, we're in a podcast, so you've missed the uh, the theatrics that have just happened there close to Halloween. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree that people feel more comfortable celebrating, condoning, uh, agreeing with you in private rather than in public. I am one of those people that would just put on my wellies and wade in. Um, and it's almost like we feel like we shouldn't or we can't. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's going to help us develop allies that I don't think we can say there is an army of us that want change, that want to close this gender gap that is apparently 108 years in the making till we get there. Um, Another piece of research by Kate, and we can't do that in private. The revolution has to be televised, you know, it can't be done in DMs. It can't be done via emails. It has to be done publicly to say this isn't right. And, and maybe, you know what, and shame on me. Maybe that's also something too, but it's hard to ask that mm-hmm. I should have replied with thank you, but I would really have appreciated, you know, the yeah. public support. But, you know, that it, it is a hard question, but, but you know, maybe that's something that we, we need to, to get better with. And, you know, and, and also too, I, I think a lot of times it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, I'll, I'll talk to some men and there's, there's complete blind spots. There's actually one, one man in our network and he didn't even realize, you know, some of the things that go on. And, and I said to him, you know, uh, actually I didn't, it was my business partner, um, said to him, well, read Brotopia. And if you haven't read that book, I really urge men to, to, to pick it up because it really mm. does, it really does untangle a lot of the ways that women in tech in particular and, and AI and data their roles and and how the the industry has done a disservice to them um, and there's a lot of aha moments and, and I recommend that book a, a lot because it really does a deep dive into it and it's not male bashing it's not saying you know like men are evil it's just these are biases that that occurred and you know what 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 can we then do now that we, we, mm. we know and what does that look like yeah my my go-to book and it took me a really long time to read was invisible women and it took me didn't take me long because the topic wasn't interesting I was listening to it on audible I could only do 20 minutes at a time without pausing it and getting angry yeah yeah you know because because we are so overlooked in so many different ways and and I think we just need to come together and go okay how do we tackle this what is our strategy moving forward how do we give people almost like a glossary of when someone DMs you to go, I agree, how do you say to them, I'd love to have this conversation inside the public domain, I really need your support on this. Mm -hmm. Or 
when someone takes your idea in the meeting that you've just said and repeats it and everyone applauds them, how do you say, thanks ever so much for reiterating my point for me as I was saying, and then carry on? Not just, not sorry, not taking a back seat, own it back again. We, we almost need a strategy, a glossary, and, and we need to go, okay, everybody, this is how we're using it. But also as well, and I've, I've had this, um, I'm working with a really fantastic guy at the moment who's a complete ally and is off currently reading Invisible Women. Um, in a meeting, something I said was overlooked and he repeated it for me, but credited it back to me. Nice. Nice. And I was like, and then I DM'd him privately and said, thanks for that. I really appreciate that. Because ironically, we were talking to a woman and that's where it hurt because yeah. she was listening to him and not to me. And misogyny works in more than, like I said, it's multifaceted and multi-layered and, and women can do it as much as men can. And she was listening to him more than me. And again, he's like, well, Hannah's more qualified in this. Hannah's got more years in this. And what Hannah said was mm -hmm. dot, dot, dot. And I was like, thanks. I, I needed that in that meeting because she wasn't listening no matter how many times I said it. And all he did was literally repeat it word for word and it sank in. And that gives me a lot of hope because I am seeing more mm -hmm. and, and, um, and I think actually maybe that's a, a, a good place for us to, to wrap up is, you know, we, mm. we need allies. to me, that's the call to action. Um, yeah. that that's where things are going, are going to change. And, um, yeah, I mean, wow, a, a lot, a lot to, to, a lot to do, a lot to do and a lot to unpick, but yeah. I really, really enjoyed, enjoyed chatting Hannah. Oh, I think we could have chatted for days on this one. Um, you know, we've got to get that 108 years down and that's that's going to take some doing. But I think, yeah, the more allies we can get, the more invigorated we can be about this subject, that it's not impossible. It's just going to be hard. And it's not like as women, we don't know how to tackle something that's difficult, you know. We've got this. We've got this. I like to think that I'm a relatively informed and self-aware man. And I was in the room and I was listening to, to Hannah and Laurie and was still shocked by some of the comments that they made. I know that we can do more, but can't believe that the starting point is so low in so many cases. And this stuff matters. This stuff matters a lot. I, I love Hannah's view at the end that we've got this. And it's great that we have got it. But not everybody has. And and there's a lot to unpack here. And I think it's going to take a little while. Uh, I would love to do a follow-up episode to this one. And if you've got some particular opinions and thoughts about it, then please let us know. One thing that has been suggested is maybe we have a Twitter chat about the episodes. And this one might be a, an interesting one to host and, and to partake in. If you'd like to be involved, please let us know and we'll make the arrangements for it. Easiest way will be through Twitter at WTAL underscore podcast or get in touch with us via the website womentalkingaboutlearning.com. I have a massive amount of appreciation for Hannah and Laurie being so honest and open in this episode. Uh, I want to put and in the strongest terms, my heartfelt thanks to them um, for contributing this topic. If you thought the same, 
please let them know. You can find Hannah on LinkedIn and Twitter, and you'll find the details in the show notes. Laurie is also on LinkedIn and Twitter, and again, look in the show notes and you'll find their contact details. Do you want to be a guest on Women Talking About Learning? We've got a ton of topics that people want to talk about, and you might have specific things that you want to talk about. It might be that maybe you don't want to do a whole 30 minutes. We mentioned last time that we're going to do something different for the imposter syndrome one. And in the next show, we'll we'll give some details out about that. And that won't be a whole 30 minutes. What we'll need is some shorter contributions, just so we can get as many voices into the show as possible. And I'll be really, really keen for you to listen into that one. We are always looking for more guests. We've got a long list of topics on the website, as I said before. Get in touch with us through the website, Twitter, LinkedIn, which, whichever way suits you best. Remember, like and subscribe to Women Talking About Learning. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again soon. You have been listening to the Women Talking About Learning podcast. Women Talking About Learning is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Amazon Music and Alexa, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, or your favourite podcast app. You can get in touch with Women Talking About Learning via email, on Twitter at WTAL underscore podcast, or via our website, womentalkingaboutlearning.com. Make sure you tune in next time for more women talking about learning. For more of the signal, none of the noise.